The Word of God is meant for practical living on the earth. It is the proceeding word from the mouth of God that defines us, informs our activities, and shapes our behavior. Do you treat the Word of God as a manual or as a meaning? Welcome to Kingdom Conversations, where we break the Word down to actionable points, where we expound on what the Word is saying to us. Every one of us is able to hear our Father, God, clearly at whatever level we are at and draw out truths that can shift our reality and transform our day-to-day lives. This is the Cyrus Community. If you think about history of mankind in many different uh, communities, yes. the fireplace was the place where two or three generations sat and passed on the wisdom of an earlier generation mm-hmm. to a current generation, and that's how oral tradition was passed on from generation to generation. And I think for us, we've you always know? been talking about fireplace conversation. Even yeah. though we do it without the fire, the concept <laughs> is still the same. So this time we are doing it with the fire and... Uh, where we are, there are a lot of uh, insects. So if the insects interfere and interrupt, we will stop. Well, usually <laughs> the arrangement is because she has no dominion. All insects <laughs> go to her. For me, no problem. Let's see. Yes. All right. So we've been talking about um, perception. What is your perception of God? How do you see God? How do you define him? Because the way you see him is the way you will define yourself. That is the most important thing to note that how I define myself is based on how I, 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 I define God. Yeah. How I see myself is based on how I see God. So we are simply saying, what is your perception? I believe you've had a week of questioning yourself and asking, how do I perceive mm-hmm. God? Because your perception matters. Yeah. You see, perception, sadly, even when it's based on wrong information, yes. determines how you perceive someone. Mm. So if I introduce somebody to you, and you trust my opinion, and I give you wrong information about the person, you will begin to see the person in the way that I convinced you they look like. Mm. And sadly, that is how, as we did in the last episode, yes. many people, when processing the power to produce wealth, when dealing with the issues of economy in the kingdom, their perception of God is already wrong. Mm-hmm. And so as they interact, no matter how you hear what God is saying, how you interpret it will be more based on how you perceive it, not so much how it really is. And I like the question you asked last time. Yes. Who is your God? How Uh do you see him? Is he a wealthy God? Yes. Or a needy God? Yes. Because that will determine how you interpret every prophetic word that you receive. Now, why are we talking about this um, perception issue? Because we're in a season when God is telling us, I will give you my power. I have given you my power. You will enjoy the power to create wealth. But if I do not understand or I interpret God wrong, that whole prophetic word yes. goes off. It has a wrong. different meaning completely. And yes. as we, 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 we took time, and we'll just want to recap a bit on that, mm-hmm. on looking at the parable of the talents from a perception yes. position. Not so much from what they were given or what their abilities were. Mm-hmm. So the master fully gave And he understood their ability. But you begin to realize that the outcome that they got was not just based on their ability. It was based on their perception of who the master is. Mm -hmm. And that is crucial. It means when God speaks to us, we will not respond necessarily only by our ability. But our ability will either thrive or Mm -hmm. stifle us based on our perception of who God is. 
So you can imagine how that can affect you. Mm. So we will continue extracting from the problem side. Yes, the problem the side. The problem side, because we saw the top two servants got it right. It worked for them. Mm -hmm. They were called good and faithful and they were added. But for the steward who had a wrong perception is where we keep looking at. That if we continue having a wrong perception, then it doesn't matter how much truth we hear. We always think about it. The Pharisees had a perception of a Messiah. Mm -hmm. That perception was so heavy that they saw Jesus as the enemy. They saw him as a blasphemer. They saw him as all sorts of names. They called him uh, uh, a drunkard. They called him a glutton. You see, it's called perception. Yes. Both me and you, he was none, no, he was none of those things. But their perception of him was so serious that eventually they plotted and had him killed. Mm. So the picture is this. A powerful word can come your way. Yes. But if you've got the Pharisee filter, the perception is wrong. You will kill the very word that mm. is here to mm. rescue you. And I like what you said last time. Yes. That when God comes to you, if you have a wrong perception, yes. he does not correct you. Uh -huh. He approaches you with your own perception. He tells you, fine. Actually, let me read that. Yeah, Matthew... 25:26. Yes. Okay. But his Lord answered and said to him, "You wicked and lazy servant, mm -hmm. you knew that I reap where I have not sown yes. and gather where I have not scattered." Aha. Uh -huh. You knew. And like we said, you knew me to be. Mm -hmm. It is your knowledge of it. Now, I want to bring in a topic. Okay. A topic that is quite common in what I may call the giving structure of most church organization, mm -hmm. a term used regularly, a term that has got, caused more damage than mm -hmm. a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yet, it sounded like a power term for God. Okay? And the term is sacrificial giving. Alright? That's what we all know. <laughs> <laughs> sacrificial giving. Now, we have to be very careful where did we get that term from? Mm -hmm. Why is it even got power? Because we took a concept out of the Old Testament, the principle of a sacrifice, okay? Then we created an interpretation for it, and then we developed it into a concept and gave it to the people. Now, let's start with the concept of a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. A sacrifice in the Old Testament was not required of every household. Mm -hmm. Let's start there. Please explain for those who are joining you now, or those if, who have not read. if you go back into the Old Testament, there was something that was called the sacrifice or the sin sacrifice or the, 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 the lamb that was slain for the sin of the nation. Mm -hmm. A lamb was brought to the priest. The priest slaughtered the lamb, burnt it on, a, on an offering, offered it to God. Any type of offering, even when God asked for oxen. It was done, one cow, one lamb, on behalf of the nation. Mm. Even when Solomon did a lot of cattle, it was still on behalf of the nation. So their sacrifice was not a requirement for every household to produce. Mm. Mm. So the correct order of a sacrifice would be one sacrifice, one community, mm. one nation. I mean, even, even in the idea of when they were leaving Egypt, Egypt yes. it was said that if your household is small, join with another household. Oh, yes. That they may benefit. Mm -hmm. So already the very concept of sacrifice has already been produced wrong. So of course we talked about perception and we said if I have the wrong perception yes. of God. Now when I talk about sacrificial giving and I feel like, listen, I can see in the Bible where Isaac, where Abraham 
because yes. that's one of the scriptures we yes. use that Abraham was told by God mm. give me your son and yes. they say that this is a sacrifice you're giving because yes. you're giving your son the yeah. one you love the most and important <laughs> that's uh, some of the scriptures we use and guys you've all read the story yeah God didn't take Isaac mm -hmm. explain the principle was when God asked for Isaac mm -hmm. and we've shared it before in a different conversation he was dealing with a position that Abraham came from in his in his culture where they believe that the ultimate sacrifice to God, if everything else fails, you literally kill your son for God. Mm. So God was actually using this very model to explain a future concept of Christ. He's the one who gives himself. It is not you who give him your son. It is God who gives his son. So the principle was, when he brought and God saw he was serious, God told him, don't. Mm. I have seen your faith. Actually, by bringing him, he was not he was not testing God. No. He was not trying. No. He was, he was ready. going to do it. He was going to do it, but because yes. they always did it. Yes. And God is telling him, now I know. Yes. When he said, now I know, is because you already have given this son. There you go. But God gave him back. Yes. So you can imagine us using a scripture that we don't complete. There you because go. Because as we say, give sacrificially and of course you'll find somebody telling you no i have a sick child this is for rent this is for school fees this is for medication and i'm giving sacrificially because i know god if i do that god will take care of me of me isaac, a, isaac wrong was not sa sacrificed and if anything <laughs> yeah abraham was not poor and god still hmm. gave him a ram to slaughter god provided himself yes okay he could have said now go for one of your cattle hmm. God still brought what was given for sacrifice, which means even if there's a sacrifice of any model, it is God who provides it. And in that scenario, he did not deplete Abraham. And that's what we always talk about, that it is God who gives you yes. first. Every scripture we have read, you have seen God telling you, I will bless you. There you go. Now, out of the blessing, you become generous. When God says that a generous soul is prosper, a generous soul is not someone who is looking out to prosper. Exactly. It's somebody who is already prospered. Yes. And they continue prospering. Yes. Like I, I love what he said about Abraham and yes. about Isaac. Yes. They continue to be prosperous. They continue. And become very prosperous. That's the principle. Yeah. So now to understand mm -hmm. why why we brought this up. It, it why, why why is this a dangerous teaching? Because it reinforces the perception of a needy God. Mm. Mm. Okay? And it embeds the character of a needy person. Notice okay. those two things. Yes. First of all, it embeds the perception of a needy God. Yes. Then it embeds the character of a needy individual. Mm. Now let me show you how it does that. Naturally, sacrificial giving has been taught alongside, um, for, for lack of a better term, where you, I'm looking for the word in it, in Swahili it is called kujinyima, <laughs> mm. which simply means that you put off benefiting you you delay gratitude you delay gratification mm. to give to god it costs you we say actually that's what we say you yes. are, you're paying a price yes mm. that it must cost you and i have not seen <laughs> where paying the price of following god is money i'll say that again in scripture the price you pay for following god is rejection and persecution mm -hmm. It is not money. Now, listen I'm just carefully. At you because I think you need to go back to that. Because when you talk about I'm going to, I'm living a sacrificial life. Yes. In that sense, yes. where I don't want to have anything, I live a poor life because I want to give to God. We always talk about money. Exactly. And you see, yes, 
if you are dependent on a family, mm-hmm. on an organization, it yeah. may cost you for a moment. Yeah. But it didn't cost you because you gave anything per se away. Mm. Mm. It cost you because you made a decision that those who are taking away are trying to manipulate you not to make by taking away. Mm. So it is not you who sacrificed in that context of this wrong order. Mm-hmm. The sacrifice is the willing to give up a certain type of life to walk in a greater dimension, not a lesser one. Mm. Mm. Let's understand that, okay? Now, secondly, so this kind of sacrificial giving normally means you don't need to have something. I mean, I've had it taught and it is terrible. You, how can you live in a good house when God's house is in shambles? <laughs> Actually, that portrays a, a needy God. Why is God's house in shambles to begin with? And I think also when you talk about God's house, yes. and you talk about my house, yes. it's almost like what you said from the beginning. Here I am, I'm expected to support God's work, yes. God's house. At the God, cost of yours. At a cost of mine. And that makes people yep. have bitterness, but you cannot express it because you thought or you are taught fire will f- rain from heaven. Yes, because God is angry that you didn't give him. Oh, This needy, needy God, God yes. is now frustrated mm. and is going to punish you because you didn't give him anything. Wrong now perception. that confuses yeah. you when you also told he's the one who gave you. Mm. So he gave me and then he became broke. Okay, wait. Let's go back to the beginning of that conversation. Yes. Somebody comes and tells you yeah. that whatever you have, yes. it is God who gave you. Uh-huh. And you say, Amen. Mm-hmm. Then this God comes and tells you, no, you need to deplete yourself and By give me back. To, yes. Okay, wait. It's not working. And if you've been following this conversation from the beginning, we kept saying one thing, that it is God who is giving you power. You are not doing yes. anything to cause him to give you power. This is a different, different dimension. There you go. This is not what we're used to where you're yes. being told. By the way, for you to walk in the power of God to create wealth, you must do this or you must do this. You've not heard us say that. Uh-huh. You've not heard us tell people that you must give sacrificially so that you can be able to enter this power. You're not saying that. No. We are saying there's a generation that is going to dare heaven and say, listen, We've heard over and over that you say that God is the one who gives you so that Hmm. as I give, it is not, I'm not giving a tithe as a duty or as a a bait to get God to act. Ah. No, I'm saying I'm grateful. My generosity, I'm being grateful and saying thank you Lord because it is you who gave me first. Yeah, because you you end up psychologically confusing yourself. Yeah. Because this God who can give you is mm-hmm. angry you didn't give him. Mm. Okay, those two things can't be in the same sentence. He gave you, now he's asking for it, but this time he's angry. If you yeah, don't and if you don't give him, now he won't give you. Yes. Which means everything ends up with him. You ending up, you are always the loser. <laughs> he's always in the, in, the, in the reaping side. Yeah. And that mindset becomes dangerous. You know why? Because it gives birth to another wrong perception of mm. faith. Mm. Because sacrificial giving now creates a doctrine that living by faith is survival. Mm. So we have this God, and remember we are still talking about perception, yeah. and we are still saying, how do you perceive God? There you go. Is he needy? Is there he wealthy? You go. And if you notice, most of the examples we have, yeah. and, the, and the reality we experience is a needy God. There you go. Where we are permanently on a survival mode. And that yes. is why when you go to church and say, it's time to give, give cheerful, cheerfully, so that God can give you, yeah. you can see everybody is excited. Why? I'm hoping if I'm cheerful, he will at least come through for me. Let me ask you, mm-hmm. how does depleting yourself make you cheerful? Mm. So you're pretending, you're a hypocrite. Oh. You know that you're feeling a pain, but you're being told to be cheerful. 
It's the other way around. It is when you are already benefited that you're doing well, that your giving, your generosity actually makes you cheerful. Mm. You actually love being like your father. Yes. You like the movement of the kingdom. Mm. You love seeing things grow. You love other people seeing other people change. Mm. So your giving, whether it is to a community, whether it is a tithe, whether it is to your brother, is an advancement of the kingdom. Yeah. So it makes you cheerful to see the kingdom thrive. Mm. Mm. That's the principle here. I think like what you've been saying, and yes. maybe we need to touch on it here, yes. we've been saying that, yes, God has already said there's a word in the house. This word, there are people who have already entered. Even yes. in the wilderness, we always see there's a group that is on this side and another one is still in the wilderness. Exactly. All right? So it's not that one, one day God comes and lifts all of us and throws us into the land. Mm -hmm. There are those who are experiencing God. There are those who are experiencing a wealthy God. Yes. There are those who are experiencing increase. There are those who are experiencing expansion in their lives. All right? But remember what we say in TCC that no man left behind. If we have to come on this message, we will. Yeah. Because we don't want to say that God has given us a prophetic word and we are so happy saying, wait a minute, you know what? We are in the land. There are people experiencing this. And you're sitting there wondering, listen, I've been here for this long time. I don't know what you're talking about. I have not yes. experienced this. And why does God keep giving us new revelation, like opening the word for us and opening the word? So that we can find ourselves in the word. For example, when you talk about three servants, yes. one with five talents, two yeah. talents, and one. Yes. And the one has a wrong perception. Yes. That is God sending a message to us. Yep. That's an SMS to us. Ask yourself, how do I perceive God? And that is why we are camping on this until every man crosses over. So if you have crossed, maybe you talk to the people who have crossed, don't get tired. No. Don't listen. get tired of listening. We, we haven't even... <laughs> I will be very doubtful to use the term crossed because mm -hmm. crossed is called wealth. Yes. It's not called prosperity. Yes. If you have moved from where you are. At least you've moved from provision That's a better prosperity. word. You've moved, you are now progressing. Mm -hmm. Remember a statement I made uh, that about Isaac. talks about, and the man prospered. And he kept prospering and became very prosperous so listen until you hit the very prosperous don't get we tired. are still on the journey actually that's what you were saying i think when we were talking before this conversation yes where we say that you know what nothing but like somebody who is already okay you've just entered prospered mm. you've not entered and continued to prosper yes and became very prosperous those yes. are three stages and you're in the first stage where you feel at least now i can give an envelope i'm okay i can i can do something for somebody else that means i'm in otherness already mm. and you're like can we move on can we get yes. to something else yes. and god is telling us listen wrong perception still we were not coming to a place of prosperity remember mm. god said i'll give you power to create wealth yes so we are yes. going to wealth mm. so no matter where you are remember our 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 mantra in the house mm. every man crossing over nobody left behind yes. So that's why we have this yeah, conversation. That's why we have this conversation. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and remember, we are dealing with a wrong perception. And it's important to remember where we are going, mm -hmm, where we mm -hmm. are going to end up. Yes. But we can't end up there until we fix the scenario that is keeping us from going there. Mm -hmm. All right? And, and, and we always say that it's ignorance that keeps us there. Yes. More than actually the devil. But the devil created the ignorance because he knows the power of that tool. So, still un unfolding the, and packaging how you progress from a wrong teaching called sacrificial giving. Yes. Then you progress into thinking faith means cutting back mm. on certain amenities in your life. Mm -hmm. Living by faith means always in a gap. Mm. Living by faith means always surviving. 
living by faith. So when, when, someone, when somebody says they are living by faith, suddenly we have killed a power tool and given it a wrong perception. Mm. So I want to give you two contrasts based on, one is based on, like we said, familiar teaching, on the idea of living by faith, the idea of what we call giving from the perspective of a needy God, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other than being generous from the perspective of a wealthy God. So I want to contrast for you two scenarios. So on one scenario, and probably you've heard this said, and it sounds like a faith statement. <laughs> I used to think so too, until God opened our eyes to how it can be a statement that actually cuts you down, mm. though it sounds powerful. Here's the statement. I want to reach a place where my giving moves from 10% to 90%. <laughs> sounds powerful, isn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Where you want to move from where you're giving, 10% of your income. When you give 90%, and we have got many stories And you told. live on 10. Yes, and you live on 10. And mm -hmm. we think, wow, what an act of faith. Yes. Listen, that is a statement from a needy God. Mm. Let me explain. If I say I want to move from 10 to 90, to begin with, this is my mindset. I'm living on a reducing balance on behalf of God. <laughs> Because... I am learning how to live on less and yes. less so I can give more and more. That's not how the kingdom works. Mm -hmm. It sounded powerful, but it's inaccurate because it simply means that my life needs to go downwards so that I support God so that his kingdom goes Up. upwards. That's one way of looking at it. Well, how would you look at the same scenario in the context of a wealthy God? Mm -hmm. Let me show you the power. I want to reach a place where my tithe reaches what I am now giving as a tithe. What I am now earning. Okay? Think of it. Okay. Two pictures. I want to go slowly. I have a thousand dollars. I want to reach where I give nine hundred dollars. Which means I now live on. Or I stay with the tithe as a concept. I give a hundred dollars. I want to reach the place where my tithe is the thousand dollars. Do you see the power of that difference? The power of that difference means not only will I be giving more to the kingdom, I personally will have increased. Not will I be giving more to the kingdom, but I have decreased. Mm -hmm. Do you see where those two dynamics come from? Yep. Because we've been taught that that's where we want to go to. Now one empowers you. You're still intending to give more. Please notice. But you're giving more cheerfully because you increased. You're giving more with joy because you're now abundant. You're giving more because you've come to a place where you've moved to a whole new dynamic. Instead of where you are giving less. By supposedly moving up, but you keep cutting down on your life. So you reach a place where you're actually offended with God. Mm. As opposed to being glad that God... It has, it has increased you. I think you need to go back to that statement yeah. the, of being offended with God. Yes. Because being Christians, you'll find somebody wondering, can mm -hmm. you get offended with God? Yes. You know? But yes, when you come to a place where you feel, I'm always living a life of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I'm always being demanded from. I mean, it's almost like anything I make, Yes. I have to give. Uh -huh. This God is always demanding. Yes. And um, again, it makes me wonder, do I even want to make? Because every time I'm hearing yeah. that my God is so needy, yes. that whatever I make will be demanded. Yeah, yeah. I have to keep giving. So yeah. you even fear increase. Yeah. Because increase means 
delete, delete, delete. Mm. And so this has become such a struggle with many givers because you battle. When you discuss things like the tithe, you're always thinking of this percentage, how much is it taking away from me? Mm. Your, your mind is never this percentage that I give. How does it grow while I have grown? Mm. Suddenly it is an empowering thought, not a disempowering thought. Yes. You're thinking about how if I have more, I can do more. Not if I can live on less, I can give more. You see, that's, a, that's actually a concept that the enemy designed to keep us in the perspective of a needy God. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. though it has been taught, it has been taught sadly in a way that talks about what you have, God wants to take more and more and more of it. Not what God has given you, he wants it to be a greater and a greater and a greater blessing. At the same time, he wants your life to increase. I think we need to go back and talk about the wealthy God. Yes. So that we say, okay, wait. When you talk about a needy God, yes. when you define, when you say, if you give an example, we almost identify with it. Yeah. yeah. Like, yes, when it comes to sacrificial, yeah. I have given. Uh -huh. That's actually, I know and I fully understand it. Yes. But when you talk of a wealthy God where we say, wait a minute, the God who gives before I give, the God who does not demand from me, but even though he has given me and yes. increased me, yes. he's still telling you, listen, you have a will. You have a choice. There you go. And you still go to heaven. Yes. Make your choices however you yeah. want. Yeah. Let's talk about that God. I think, first of all, we have to ask, where did we invent because mm. it's an invention yes the, the needy god yeah where did you invent him yeah because if you do a study mm -hmm. of our forefathers in, in in the lineage of the kingdom mm -hmm. if you go into the bible you cannot find poverty among them you cannot you talk of, of of abraham being poor you cannot talk of isaac of jacob you cannot talk of moses you cannot talk of david you cannot talk of joseph listen we can go through the whole order of the patriarchal order, but nowhere in the patriarchal order are we going to find a concept where the God that we have or the fathers who came through that lineage were people of poverty. In fact, let's even take one person, Job. Okay? Job is a very interesting person if you look at the scriptures. Job comes from a pattern where the reality we know of Job is that Job starts somewhere with wealth. Okay? As Job starts with wealth, Job moves to a place where he has a calamity and stuff is taken. And that's what we see. We see the problem. Yeah. But we don't notice that when Job is restored, the Bible says, and God gave him double everything I, I he think has. we stop at the things were taken. Yeah, things he were lost taken. everything. Then, then we only focus and God healed him. I say, wait, he didn't just heal him. Mm, restoration. He restored him and gave him double, meaning the Bible says the latter end of Job hmm. was greater than where he had started. Job has been uh, our example yes. for a needy God and a life of sacrifice. Exactly. A life of calamity. A life there where you, you can have everything today and tomorrow everything is gone. Yes. We've always used Job. Yes. But we don't Job finish has the story. Powerful power principles yes. that like we are saying, you don't finish. You don't finish. You the reach story. halfway and say, oh, you know what? Everything was taken. Aha. After everything was taken, God gives and God takes. <laughs> God gives, God takes away. <laughs> Blessed be God. Out. We end with takes away. Hmm. Hmm. Whenever you mention job, you're using the end point. Takes we go to away. funerals, we talk about when we finish a funeral, we finish with a God who took. Mm -hmm. We never finish with a God who gave. We always got this picture of what God took. Listen, what God takes away is sin. Hmm. What God takes away is pain. 
What God takes away is suffering. Oh yes. God doesn't take away a good life. It's so bad that when when believers see believers doing well, you begin to query their morality. Mm. Where did we get that idea from? Like you've just asked a question before yes. we go to the wealthy God. You just yes. asked a question: Where and or how did you invent uh-huh. the needy God? Yes. Maybe you can help us understand. You see. Sadly, in, in Christendom, and I think we touched a bit on it in the last conversation and I want to expand it here. In Christendom, historically, like we said, was that um, in the early, what you may call, post the, 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 the book of Acts, when the church went into the dark ages and we entered with the, with the, with the, in the religious institution post-Rome, okay? okay? The concept was create an, an idea that God lives in a building, cathedrals. We are still struggling with that. Yeah. We still call the church you go to the house of God. Think of the absurdity of your statement. How can the creator of heaven and earth, who created even heaven, live in the building you attend on Sunday? Okay, come slow, come slow, come slow. <laughs> We've known this is the house of God. Of course, the Bible <laughs> talks about God does not live in to dwell in. Houses made with hands. That one is in the Bible. That one is there. The scripture is there. But when you look at the the, the doctrine of church building being where God dwells, it has weakened the body because we always go into the church to meet God. In fact, we say we have our Sunday best because we are going to meet God. God is here. He has come down in the building. Now, when you come out and in your mind you don't understand that the concept you have of God is you left him. Yes. In that building. Yeah. So that... Abs- exactly. Mean, so so, I mean, so think of yes, it. Yes, it sounds tough. Yeah, yeah but, but let's deal with it. Where does it come from? Again, Erena's teaching. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, the reason the temple was the house of God is because the presence of God was in a location. Mm. I'll say that again. Yes. The presence of God was in a location, in the Holy of Holies. Mm. That was where people met God. Yes. When Christ came, he was clear. The first thing he told you he'll bring down is a temple. <laughs> Why would he say such a thing? In Matthew 24, Jesus walked out of the temple. Yeah. The place that supposedly kept the laws, exactly. contained the laws, or rather the presence of, of God. God. Now Jesus is walking out. What is he telling you in the New Testament? So then the next thing, on the day he's crucified, the tent is torn from mm. top to bottom. Yes. And every biblical scholar who is of worth their weight knows what that means. Mm-hmm. It means the presence of God left the temple. Mm. On the day of Pentecost, we understood that the presence of God dwelt in men. And Paul, mm-hmm. Pharisee of Pharisees, scholar of Jewish theology, mm-hmm. tells you we corporately at the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that God dwells in us corporately, not in an individual, in, in us, us corporately. When you understand that concept, the truth is the temple goes to a building. Mm. I don't know how you'll interpret that. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we meet the temple, the body. The body of Christ. The where God the lives, the house of God meets in physical buildings. Mm. 
And these physical buildings can be anywhere. Thank can you. be a tent, can be a hired hall, can Thank be you. a built facility, whatever you want to call it. That's the it. people meeting in that hall, in that building, in that facility, they are the house of God. Exactly. So the house of God, the people walk into a facility so that they can be taught. That's it. The word of God. So that the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, can walk out of a building and go and have impact in there their area go. of operation. Now, just understanding that concept that can bring revolutionize Oh, yes. Because do we finance buildings? Yes, we yes. do. But we only finance them so that the body can grow. The temple, the people. The body is more important than the building. Hmm. But when you make the bodies focus the building, we've already begun going back to hmm. the days of the Old Testament. We've made God a location. And if he lives in a location that always needs our money, mm -hmm. now you see how needy he is. So let's go back again now. Now, because now we are trying to tie down, where did we invent this poverty and needy God? Yes. Here is a people who are supposed to be the temple, the dwelling place of God. Yes. And these are men. We have made a building, a facility, a tent, the dwelling place of God. There you go. So what do you do now? You tell the people who are supposed to be more valuable than the building. There you go. That they need to take care of the building. The building does not carry the presence of God. The people do. That's it. So if you have a beautiful building and a people who are empty of the presence of God. Then we have a major problem. Yeah. And that's where the perception of a needy God comes. Mm. Because you, who is supposed to be carrying the presence of God, yes. representing him, carrying out the power of his presence, coming to meet together as a family to remind yourself of who you are, mm. you instead find yourself burdened with financing where God lives. He can't pay rent. Okay, stop. <laughs> Here we are, and that's what we started by saying. Yes. You are told you have to, to give up your life yes. to support the work of God. Yes. But what is the work of God here? We are talking about, let's say, a building. Now, if I'm taking care of this building and I'm supposed to be the carrier, part of the carrier of the presence of God, yet now I'm looking at a building and saying, you know what? We are building the house of God. Yes. Question. When we were going through a COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, yes. Yes. and the buildings were some, in some countries, were closed. Over here, the building was Sold. sold. Some buildings were sold. How do you interpret that? It doesn't make sense. If even now you're still wondering if the church, the building is the house of God, please explain if it is the house of God and it's been locked for a year. People don't meet there. So what is God doing inside there? Alone and you at home. Listen. Quarantined. We have absolutely nothing wrong with buildings. Nothing wrong with church buildings. Yes. Nothing wrong with great and powerful church buildings. But if the value of the building and its magnificence hmm. does not match or is greater than the magnificence of the people, hmm. then we are designing the wrong building. Hmm. And placing much more value exactly. on the building than on the so people. So in truth, we have created a building. We've neglected the house of God, hmm. the people. And we are building a facility and forcing God to live where he doesn't live and ignoring where he actually lives, so which is the people. <laughs> I want to ask a question, <laughs> and I believe you've been tracking with us on this conversation. Yes. Now, when Haggai says that you dwell in good houses, but my house... 
lays in ruins. Just think of that Haggai scripture because when we talk about God saying yeah. that my house, that's the other scripture we use thinking that God is talking about a, 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 a physical facility. building. Yes. Now, do you understand when God is telling you, listen, you guys, you're living in good houses, you're taking care of your house, while my house, who is my house? Not a facility. Exactly. You and me, the body of Christ, we are in shambles, we are in ruins, we are not being taken care of. Nobody's placing value on the body of Christ. God is telling you, my house, the people, they live in ruins. <laughs> let, let me explain something. Hmm. In the New Testament, you see a phrase being used. And uh, please go and uh, look at our series, From Church to Ecclesia, yes. where we define the difference between where the term church came from mm -hmm. and the term actually written in the Bible called the Ecclesia. Yes. And so we, we, we reread it this way. You see many phrases in the New Testament. The ecclesia in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Mm. The ecclesia in the house of... Listen, their house was not a church. The people were. Wow. The church met in their house. Mm. I'll say that again. Their house was not a church. The people met in their in house. house. I know there's a major movement going on in the world today that we need to start house churches. Wrong again. <laughs> Because now you're taking the building. Again, we are starting from scratch. We'll mm. end up again with the building. So the people, the people, the people. God is talking about the people. They are my yes. house. They are my dwelling place. When you talk about Revelation says, now the dwelling place of God is with men. He's talking about the church. The ecclesia yes. is the dwelling place of that's God. It. The ecclesia. And these are a people. And, and that's why the, the term church is so deadly. Because it, it always connotes a building. Mm. Always connotes a facility. It, it is, a, it is an, 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 an inanim, inanimate object. Mm. It is a facility. It's abstract. But Ecclesia is a people. Mm. You cannot make it abstract. You cannot turn it into a building. You cannot turn it into a, a, a place. So wherever the Ecclesia meets, for your sake, who are used to the term church, which is still a non-biblical term mm. anyway, Anywhere. because it doesn't capture, it still for your sake will use that term and will say the church is people hmm. so if you say that there's an economy that's why we say be generous generosity is building the church which church the people the principle <laughs> yeah. now people maybe somebody somewhere finally understands when we say that god is about otherness is about his church yes and like you said you're using that word for yes. us to capture what we're trying yeah. to say god is about his church building the church who is the church a people not a building but can the people, the church, meet in a building? Yes, 100%. Can a people buy a building? 100%. Yes. But if you place more value on the structure, the building, than the people, then that's where we are saying we are creating a poverty or a poor God. Exactly. A needy God. And here's where the problem now breaks out. Mm -hmm. If you've been brought up with a concept of a needy God, then you live in this world system that believes that that needy God lives in a building, in an organization, in a denomination. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And because he lives there, he needs constant care mm -hmm. and he needs constant funding. Yes. And every project is his project. He's always in need. And many times when he has a project, it costs you. <laughs> you must give up something for him to live better. Mm. You must give up your comfort for his sake. Mm. Do you realize Deep inside you, you know that God can save you. Deep inside you, you know that God cannot offer you anything. And that's the same God we've projected to the world. So what does the world do? The world gives us crumbs to go take to our God. Oh. <laughs> the world gives us 
donations to go take to our God. Mm. The politician comes and funds our God. Mm. The candidate comes and funds our God. So that we can all say that God they funded mm. chose him. You are right. Your needy God voted for him. Mm. The sovereign God has no time for that kind of shenanigan. Mm. The sovereign God can change a government overnight, a nation overnight, without support. You notice something strange, that as we continue with these conversations, it's always ending up with a word, one word which can take you so off yes. from where God was going. Yeah. Because right now, if only you talk about the church, notice how the church redefines everything you exactly. know about God. Redefines how you interact with the word. Because this word, we come into the church, we hear the word and go. Yep. But nobody is telling us, listen, you are here so that you can be serviced. Take the word. Let the word become uh, mm. part of you so that when you go out there, the word, exactly. meaning as the house of God, you are the dwelling place of God. What is the, when you say we are dwelling place of God, what are we saying? The dwelling place of the word. The word needs to dwell in a people because when the word says, it's, the word says and the word became flesh, it has to come through a people, not a building. So if we just take that one word, church, we see how we have gone off completely to a place where we now have to take another whole journey, a whole conversation yes. to, to demolish the yeah. church in our mind. Listen. Or the, what the church The word represents. dwelling in us mm -hmm. is not ha us having good information that still has no effect in the world system. Yes. That's not the word dwelling. That is information. Yeah. Imagine if the word, which is God, dwells in us. Mm. When we go out there, which earthly economic system can affect us? Who is the superior system? Mm. You see, now when you switch to understanding the economy of the kingdom, when you switch that our God is wealthy, you begin to understand that his resources are more powerful than the donations we are getting. Mm. You begin to realize that our job as ministers is not to be offended by how little your donations are mm. and to spur you on to mm. give more to our needy God. No, our position is to activate you to go and thrive and operate at a higher level economically mm. than any other system. Yes. And by that we will grow and we will activate more and more and more people until a day comes when we will fund the nations, mm. not the other way around. So when you talk about God sending us to the nations, yes. you realize he cannot send you to the nations from the church building. There you go. When you're sent from the church building and you say God has sent us to the nations, it's mm. already wrong because even that uh, movement from where you are to the nations, it will cost you. Yes. But here when you say God, when God talks about you, as his dwelling place going to the nations, he tells you, I, God, will open opportunities for you. I, God, will open. When you talk about now I'm in business, there is favor on your business that is uh, operating on a very different uh, uh, platform than the normal business person. Yeah. And why? Because when the favor of God hits your business, hits you as a person, and you, in turn, goes into your business, the way you work, the multiplication, the resources that come into you, you are able to say, as I go into the nations, I yes. know I'm the financial of this thing. Yes. I'm the financial of this. You see, we switch from a mindset that is struggling mm. to fund God's projects. <laughs> so God has projects. Oh, those ones we, and those we projects, have struggled. And those projects compared to any project in the world are petty. Yes. Small projects that we are struggling to do. You know why? Because the poor God, the needy God has slaves. Slaves don't have much. Mm. Mm. 
Slaves don't have much. And needy God yes. has slaves. Has slaves. He doesn't have sons. So they're always trying to fund him. A wealthy God has sons and he funds them to make a change. And I think there's something that you always say. Looking at the church and the confusion that that word creates. When you talk about, for example, you take, you're now having this fundraising. Yes. To build a system that is not transforming the minds of people. But when you go to Babylon, they tell you, you know what, we have schools. You know what, we have... They are transforming <laughs> people into their thinking. And you pay prime. Yes. But when you come to the church, because we are stuck with the word church and a building, now we are taking money to put up a building that we will not use to bring the people or the dwelling place of God, the house of God, to come and train them and transform their mind. So what is God telling you? Even though you say we will build, are we going to build? Yes, we will. Are you going to buy land? Yes, we will. But why? Number one, to transform the minds of people so that when they go out there, there is impact, there is influence, and people can see God and say, surely yes. this God we yes. want. Listen, there are two ways of funding. Mm -hmm. The way you fund a needy God's project is you get a lot of people, you gather and everybody sacrifices and mm -hmm. everybody pledges. Why do we pledge? Because we don't have. Okay? It's not available now. We'll go look and somehow. And usually what we're trying to find is not that massive. And in the end, once we have completed it, it makes no major difference. Except the reality that it costs us. And we call them mega projects. Mm -hmm. Listen, when you have a small vision, what is mega? Mm -hmm. When you are operating in poverty, what is mega? Hmm. And then, when you do that, of course the world will attack you and make you think you built something big. Hmm. It's a lie. Meanwhile, the opposite of the kingdom works like this. In the kingdom, we do not need a million people to give a dollar each. Hmm. In the kingdom, we need one person to give a million dollars. A Build an mindset. institution Take the other million people, come and transform them to think like this one person, mm. and then release them. That's kingdom economy. 20 years, 30 years down the line. You, you have a mega community. Army. You will find an army in the That's earth. the principle. Are people who can say, listen, our God is not needy. And we have to confront these things because yes. we as believers, remember we're in church. Remember we're in what we are calling. The church that everybody is looking at and asking, what are you doing? That's it. What are you guys doing? That's it. So when we speak, we are speaking about us, us all. And we yeah. are saying, listen, guys, it is time we came and said, you know what? That perception of a poor God, a needy God has brought us to a place where we think he's so needy that when I give, you know, just a token. Yes. It's a huge thing. And, and, and yeah? you can get offended because mm -hmm. that token costs you. Mm-hmm. It costs you a lot because yes. of where you operate from. Yes. So what, what may look like a little in your operation is a lot. Mm. And I know we've taken some things out of context. Jesus sitting at the treasury and a poor widow with a might put her two in. <laughs> and Jesus is teaching a context, not a doctrine. Mm. He's saying many gave out of their abundance. This woman gave her all. So he's teaching you kingdom measurement, mm. not who gave a lot. Mm. Kingdom measurement is based on, in other based words, on, she yeah. has this mindset that everything she owns belongs to God. That's all. Yeah. That was the principle. The issue was not that many came and gave a lot, but they gave less. He wasn't trying to use that concept. So do not misinterpret scripture from a needy God perspective. 
all right? I think for us, if we sit and say this conversation, for sure, if we can think again and again that the needy God perception has caused us to live a, 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 a minimal life, a limited life, mm -hmm. a life where when God promises us to take us to a place of creating wealth, we tell him, listen, we are okay with provision. Mm -hmm. We are okay with prosperity. Why are we even thinking about all that? Mm -hmm. But when we realize that we are the body of Christ, the house of God, the house of God that should be the dwelling place of God, such that when he releases us into the world, we can have impact and not only just by speaking and preaching the word, but by even using our material increase yes. to change people's lives. Yep. So when you have a needy God and when you have a wealthy God, listen, our operations will be different. Maybe you can give us your final comments. My final comments is that as we're making this shift, my prayer is that you will shift from the mentality of the steward who hid to the steward who multiplied. Mm. And as we begin to journey, we are now going to be focused quite a bit on extracting from the wrong. We are going to begin to expound how then are we supposed to position and see kingdom economy from a wealthy God perspective and not a needy God perspective. And there we have it. We are the house of God, the dwelling place of God. And you know what? We need to be built transformation of the mind that's why the bible talks about in romans that renewal of the mind this is what we are talking about we must renew our mind to do that it costs a lot it does we will need to spend money to do that yep. we will need to spend money to travel yes to do that all right so as we talk about the prophetic word in the house yep. god is, has given us power to create wealth and we must walk in this uh, reality and you know what we are calling it taking the scripture out of the book and making it a reality in our lives. There you go. Thank you for watching this episode of the Kingdom Conversations. The big question remains, what have you heard? And what are you going to do about it? Keep tracking with us, like and follow us on our social media handles, the Cyrus community on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. You can send in your questions through Facebook or use the email on your screen. And as Micah 4.4 says, may you be found seated under your vine and under your fig tree. Until our next episode, keep it kingdom, keep it pure.